Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Journey of Faith. If you're new with us, I want to say uh, welcome here for the first time. My name is Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I want to say hi to everybody at our Torrance campus right now. We're connected with you. And if you're watching online right now, thanks for joining us. Hey, before we get into the message today, I just um, just want to share, I'm kind of in a, a bit of a tender spot this weekend in particular. Um, the loss of a congregation member here uh, has really impacted me. His name is Mickey Mabry. Here's a, uh, a picture of him and his wife uh, preceded him in death uh, a while back. And so Mickey passed away last week. He's a very influential person, not only in the life of this church, but also in my life. Mickey was part of this congregation when the church was physically located in Hermosa Beach, even before locating here in the 50s. Um, he had a heart for missions and outreach, so he had really a global impact. He had a vision for multi-site uh, church ministry in the late 80s. Um, in, not in his late 80s, but in the 1980s. Um, and he, he just had a, a great heart for the next generation. He was one of the key people in our congregation over 30 years ago that was advocating for hiring younger lead pastors so that we could continue to make an impact in the next generation. Um, he was also a, a person that God blessed financially, and so he's one of our, our key givers at, at the church that uh, God used him tremendously to fund the work of God here in the South Bay. So it's a, a big loss for me, a big loss for our church. He also had um, a saying over the last 20 years that he would say regularly. He said, change is inevitable. You can either be a victim of it or a student of it. And that kept him vibrant and innovative and looking forward into the future for a long, long time. So I'm kind of carrying that this week. And it kind of, if, if, if I tend to be a little bit punchy or sloppy or something like that, even with what I'm sharing with you today, that's kind of what's going on inside of me. And it does actually relate to what I want to talk to you about today. Um, we're in this series called Make Space. And this series is during the Lenten season of the Christian calendar leading up to Easter. And the idea is we're doing some spiritual spring cleaning in our lives. We, we live very busy, uh, um, uh, busy lives and, and sometimes unbalanced lives. And in this series, what we're doing is we're saying, what would it look like to make more space for Jesus? And as we do that, maybe we can reorder some parts of our lives. And over the last two weeks, we've looked at what it looks like to move from unhealthy spirituality to a more healthy spirituality. Um, week one, we talked about how unhealthy spirituality is when we live from a false sense of self, and healthy spirituality is when we find our uh, first identity in our relationship with God. Some of us find our identity in our job or in our family or in our appearance or in our status, but really that first identity should come from, I am made by God and I've loved, I'm loved by God. Uh, last week, Pastor Alex walked us through how unhealthy spirituality is when we ignore uh, the pains of the past, like, oh, that's the old me, that happened to me, but it has no bearing on me right now. Whereas healthy spirituality is when we find God in our painful past. We say, yes, I went through that, and I need to process that and recognize that, and God actually redeems that, that maybe even some of the painful things that I went through in my past actually have value today in some ways I didn't even realize. So if you missed either of those messages, you can go online. You can check them out on our YouTube channel or on our app or on our website. 
Today, I wanna to talk about another shift from unhealthy spirituality to healthy spirituality. Unhealthy spirituality is not admitting my negative feelings to God. Healthy spirituality is being honest with God about my feelings. And I'm not talking about the normal ups and downs of life, although that's important. I'm talking about the big stuff when we're like, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm devastated. And even those moments, especially when we go, God, I've had it. I can't do this anymore. Have you had some of those times in your life where you just like, I, I'm done. Let me tell you about something last year when I got to one of those places physically. Okay, so I, I have a heart issues, so I have a cardiologist. I see my cardiologist regularly. And um, the, my cardiologist called me and said, hey, I want you to come do uh, a stress test. So I came in and I was like, this is a great week for me to do a stress test because I'm gonna get an A because I was stressed out all week. <laughs> you know, and he looked at me like, yeah, I hear that every time. That's an old joke that everybody says. And so he's like, all right, we're gonna do a treadmill, right? And I was like, I can do a treadmill. Here's some video of me doing the treadmill. Answer off, no, that's not me. But um, so I went into the treadmill and I start off great, right? Like you do it, you've done this before, you're on the treadmill in the beginning, looking at the nurse next to me. I'm going, Is this your first appointment of the day? You know, I'm doing fine. About 10 minutes in, she's like, How are you doing? I'm saying, Shut up. I need to make some oxygen choices here, you know? And I'm just, Oh my gosh. And, and, and she said, we're almost done on the treadmill. I turn over and look at her and I go, oh, this was a bad stress test. And she said, it hasn't started yet. This is just the treadmill part. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. So she says, here's what's going to happen. In 30 seconds, I'm going to have you move off the treadmill. You're going to lay on your side. I'm going to hook you up to an ultrasound. And I need you to hold your breath. Well, I'm out of breath. because I was like, I, I can't do this. I mean, I can't even keep my breath. And she's like, okay, here we go. We're done, slide onto the table, slide on the table. She looks at me up, she said, hold your breath. And I go, <gasps> and she goes, that's too deep of a breath. I need to be more shallow. I was like, what are you kidding me? So I go, <sighs> and I'm holding on. She's going, okay, we're almost done. We're almost done. And then I go, <sighs> she goes, I didn't get it. I need you to do it one more time. And I'm like, oh, so hold a shallow breath. I don't know if you've ever held a shallow breath when you're completely out of breath. Some of you have done this before. So I'm like holding my breath, oh, finally. She's okay, we're doing one more time. I'm like, you're kidding me. All this time for a copay? So I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I finally, I did it and she's okay, we're all done. And I walked out of there, I was like, oh my gosh. I, first of all, I was so proud of myself. I was like, I did it, right? So I'm driving home and I walk in the door and my wife says, how did it go? And I wanted to go, and I remember that she gave birth to three children. I was like, it's fine, I did fine, no problem. <laughs> What am I gonna to complain to her about? But I was at that point where I was like, I can't do this. I'm done, I got to the end. It was a spiritual experience laying on that thing where you're like, I'm at the end of myself here. Maybe you've had those times physically, running a marathon or doing something physically. Have you ever had those times spiritually or emotionally where you're like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. 
we might think that that's a sign that there's something powerfully wrong with our spiritual life. But when we have those experiences, that's actually can be a healthy part of the spiritual life. Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, calls these moments hitting the wall. Ancient Christian writers called it a dark night of the soul. It can be triggered by a loss in life. It could be triggered through some kind of crisis or trauma. Sometimes we don't know what triggers it, but we get to a point where we say, you know, the things that got me through in the past aren't getting me through now. We get to a place where at such a low point in our life of sadness, confusion, even sometimes despair. The ways that we connected with God or the things that got us out of those ruts in the past are not getting us out and we're stuck. In those moments, we might try the quick fixes. Let me do this, let me do this, let me try to get myself out of this and it doesn't work. Sometimes we might do a geographic cure. Forget it, I'm just gonna move. And that doesn't work. We might even begin unhealthily deconstructing our faith where we go, you know, maybe I never believed all along. Maybe God's done with me. When we get into those dark places and we hit the wall and we bottom out, here's the good news. We can be transformed by God through our darker moments. Rather than trying to get over the wall or go around the wall, God has a way for us to slowly burrow through the wall. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. Today we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament of the Bible that has helped me tremendously during those times in my life where I felt like I'm done. We're going to look at the story of this guy. His name is Elijah. And this is the reference. If you want to go there in a Bible with me on your phone or if you have a physical Bible, um, but please write this reference down because I'd love for you to read this entire section this week. It's 18 verses, but I'm not going to read all of them, and there's a lot there. It'd be great for you to read this on your own. Here's a picture, an old painting of Elijah. Elijah was a Hebrew prophet living in the land of Israel around the uh, ninth century B.C. The job of a prophet back in that day was to help keep the country pointed at God. And they usually worked alongside the leaders of the country to do it. What, we're, what happened right before we're going to read, uh, right before what we're going to read today is, the country of Israel had moved away from worshiping God to worshiping a local idol, a false god by the name of Baal. They would build statues, they would kiss the statue, they would bow down to the statue, and some of the worship involved not only child sacrifice, but self-harm. The prophet Elijah was like, this is wrong. We need to move away from worshiping Baal and we need to move back to worshiping 
the true God. There came to be kind of a boiling point in Elijah's life where the religious leaders who were worshiping Baal and Elijah had kind of a spiritual showdown. And it happened here on this mountain. It's called Mount Carmel. This is what it looks like today. Elijah and the other prophets got together and they kind of said, we're going to see whose God is more powerful. The prophets of Baal said, we're going to cry out to our God and ask him to show a miracle. And they started praying and they started weeping and they started cutting themselves. But Baal did not show up in any powerful way. And Elijah, after watching this, he said, God, if you are the God you say you are, would you show up? And it was like a pillar or a ball of fire shot down from the sky. And it was this amazing, miraculous moment. Right after that, the whole scene turned violent and it got bloody. And at the end of that event, Elijah is running for his life and he finds out that the leader of the country has put a hit out on his life. So now Elijah is running for his life, running from the threat of death, and he's just experienced this amazing thing, but he ends up bottoming out. He hits a wall, and here's what it says. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He had kind of a companion that helped him. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Here's this powerful, pow one of the most powerful and significant prophets in all of the Bible. And he's hitting a wall and he's like, I'm done. I've had it. We think he's experiencing what we know nowadays as PTSD. And there he is alone by himself. Let's see what happens next because there's an interesting spiritual event that happens. He said, then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Now, just let me pause a little bit. For those of you that might not know the larger kind of story in biblical history, this is kind of a retread of what the nation of Israel went through thousands of years ago. The Israelites were escaping the villainous attack of Pharaoh from Egypt who wanted them dead. They went through the wilderness for 40 years, 
but they actually ended up at Mount Sinai to hear from God. And so there's a version of this happening, and the idea of Mount Sinai is that this is where the people of Israel knew that they would hear from God. It says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. Now, we don't know how he heard God telling him to do this, that it isn't clarified there, but he's going to hear from God. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, and it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. At this point, what God ends up doing is he says, I want you to head up north to an area in Damascus, which is modern-day Syria, I want you to place your hands and kind of raise up and commission a new leader of the country. And I have another young man there. His name is Elisha. And I want you to mentor him. And he's going to be your protege to help take over for what you're doing. And then he adds this. I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Now, this is a really dramatic, kind of interesting, hyper-spiritualized story. But this story has really helped me in my life when I have hit the wall and had dark nights of the soul. Let me share with you two elements of the story that really helped me, and maybe they'll help you. First, we can be transformed by God through our darkest moments. Here's the first way. Let God care for your whole self. When Elijah was in his dark night, when he hit that wall, he said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm letting my ancestors down. I want to die. If you notice, God didn't say, oh, don't say that, Elijah. Oh, don't speak those words into existence. Oh, you should never say that. Instead, God was like, why are you here, Elijah? See, when we hit a wall, when we're in a dark night, when we feel like we've had enough, we need to be intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually honest with God. God can handle it. Some of us are more honest with our therapists than we are with God. Next, after he got that stuff out, notice what he did? He fell asleep. And God didn't go, Come on, Elijah, this is no time for sleeping. In fact, I think God looked at Elijah and was like, that's right, my son, you're exhausted. You need some rest. When we hit the wall and when we have that dark night, 
Sometimes we need to say, am I sleeping enough? Am I resting my body? Or have I been pushing myself too hard? Now he's been asleep for a while. And then what does God do? God's like, this guy needs to eat. So he sends him a little angelic door dash. And he, like a good Jewish mom, God's like, let's get some food into your system, right? So then he eats. And sometimes when we're hitting a wall or we're having a dark night of the soul, God's like, are you taking care? What's your hydration like? Is your diet okay? Sometimes we're like, I'm in a spiritual crisis. You know what? You're not in a spiritual crisis. You're in a crisis with your your calories and your cholesterol and, and all other kinds of stuff. And then what happens to Elijah? He goes back to sleep again. But it's only after Elijah is able to be honest and he's taken care of physiologically that Elijah is able to get to a place where he can hear from God. When we're going through dark nights of the soul, we need to realize there's a lot of different components of who we are, and we need to make sure that we are letting God care for our whole selves. Here's an action step for you. Invite God into one part of yourself you haven't before, like emotional, physical, relational, intellectual, spiritual. Imagine your life like this pie chart of all these different elements of who you are. And when you hit that tough spot, you kind of do a little check on all of those. Maybe spiritually, I know what I believe, I've got my spiritual life together, but you've got no friends. Some of you are like, oh, I got a lot of friends, and I got my thinking in the right place, and my emotions are all right. But the only time you interact with God is on Sunday mornings at church. When I was, when I hit a wall six years ago and bottomed out with depression and anxiety and even some thoughts of despair, I realized I knew what I believed theologically. I had done a lot of reading. I had some quality friendships, but I was not taking care of myself physically, and I didn't understand the body-spirit connection. I didn't understand how my brain operates and how my brain was related to what I was feeling and thinking. And it took a coach, it took somebody with experience, a therapist that understood some of those connections to help me get through that time. But it wasn't go read more or go pray more. Now, for some of you, it might be some of that because you might be like, oh, if I just work out more, I'll be fine. Actually, maybe God's wanting you to focus on your spiritual life more. Or maybe you need to see that therapist. Or you're like, oh, I'm bottoming out. It's a spiritual crisis. No, it's a physical crisis. God wants to deal with your body. And sometimes it's a vocational crisis. I've got a friend who's gone through a dark night of the soul and it's, it's because God is moving him out of his current job. That's what was happening with Elijah, by the way. <laughs> Elijah was getting ready to pass the mantle of his leadership onto another prophet. Sometimes when we go through vocational changes, like you're retiring or you're changing jobs or you're changing careers or you move from the vocation of being the full-time active stay-at-home parent to your kids are leaving the nest, that can trigger an identity crisis as well as a dark night. 
And so it's a good time to check the system. Here's one other thing about this. When we go through a dark night or we go through hitting the wall, sometimes the way we normally get through it doesn't work. I mentioned that earlier. Some of you are like, well, when I go through tough times, I read the Bible and then I get something out of it. And you start reading the Bible and you're like, this isn't helping me at all. Or go, well, normally when I go through a tough time, I, I talk to some friends and then those friends help me. And you realize those friends are not there right now. Or the advice they're giving you, you're like, that, that isn't helping me at all. Some people believe that God intentionally moves us into dark nights or intentionally allows us to hit the wall so we will stop depending on all the ways we used to get out of our struggles and we'll start depending more on God. That means that some of the ways that we will get through this might be unexpected. That's what we see in Elijah's life. When you read about Elijah's life in the Bible, his spiritual life was like a pyrotechnic show. Like anytime he interacted with God, there was like earthquakes and fires and explosions and everything was big and miraculous with him. But isn't it interesting, when he was in the dark night, when he was in that cave, God showed up, but not in the ways he expected. God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquakes. God was not in the fire. God was in a, what's called a gentle whisper. We don't even know what that was. But we do know it was not what Elijah expected. When you're going through a dark night, when you're hitting the wall, let God care for your whole self, mind, body, Spirit. In fact, there might be an area of your life you're like, I don't need to work on that. God might be like, yep, that's exactly what I want you working on. Like, well, I've done that before. Well, I don't need to see a therapist. I'm just going to pray more. Nope, I want you to do that. Well, I normally hang out with people and I'll you know, be involved in people, with people. And I'll go see a therapist. God's like, yeah, but I want alone time with you. When we go through dark nights, God works in different ways. And that can be unsettling because there's no quick fix. It's about burrowing through the wall, not going over it and not going around it. Now, while we're taking care of our whole self and we're letting God take care of our whole self, that doesn't mean that we eliminate people in our life because that's the other component that God uses to transform us when we go through those times. And it's this, find encouragement with other people. When Elijah was in that cave, he was like, I'm all alone. I'm all, no one in the country is doing what I'm doing. Everyone has abandoned you. And then God says this, I I've actually have 7,000 other people. <laughs> See, sometimes we can have real feelings that are not accurate. Let me say that again. You can have a real feeling that is not true. Just because you feel something 
doesn't mean it's a reliable thing to act on. Elijah was like, I'm alone. God's like, yes, that is a real feeling, but you are actually not alone. I've had that. I've had that where I'm like, this feeling is true. And God's like, no, it's real. But it's not true. In our darkest moments, you might be in one of these moments in your life because we sit here in church or you're watching online. You're like, yep, I'm going to church. I'm doing my thing. I'm, I'm, but inside, I've hit the wall. God is gently whispering to you in this moment these words. You are not alone. No matter how alone you feel, and it is true, we can feel alone. First, God is with you. When Jesus' closest followers, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about his death, he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to go to heaven. And they were like, you mean we're going to be alone? You're leaving? He was like, no, you're not alone. Here's what he said. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. Because I live, you also will live. I'm in my Father. You're in me. I'm in you. Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm operating at a completely different spiritual level now. So I'm with you no matter what. We're connected in the spiritual realm. But if that wasn't enough, he said it's more than that. And he pointed them to each other. And he said this, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not only am I with you, God says, but there's all other kind of people with you. We need each other. We need to be with each other. That's one of the things many of you who are here in person, for those of you that are watching online, a lot of us are experiencing the power of actually regathering together in person post-COVID. We're like, we need to be physically in the room with each other, to be present, with, to be singing with each other, to be next to each other. We are not alone. And if you're feeling alone, maybe you're in one of those dark spots, maybe you're even feeling suicidal. It's interesting, Elijah did not take his own life. He was like, God, you do something. Figure something out. It was a cry for help. God is wanting to be with you and with us. And what that means is we need each other. And we can reach out to each other and help each other. Here's a, an action step I have for you. This week, would you give a gentle whisper of hope to someone who might need it? And a gentle whisper of hope is not a quick fix. Hey, pray this, read this, listen to this podcast. That's not what it is. Gentle whisper of hope is, hey, I love you. Hey, I'm sorry you're going through that. I'm with you. I care about you. Hey, are you getting some rest? Here, did you have something to eat today? <laughs> Let's go get something to eat. Those are gentle whispers of hope. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm the one that needs the whisper of hope right now. Why are you sending me to go do it to somebody else? Because there's also something that happens when we hit the wall or we go into our dark night. It can become very self-absorbing. A lot like depression. When we're hitting that spot, sometimes it just sucks us into ourselves. where I'm spending all this time focused on myself and there's something transformative when I reach out and I actually serve other people. 
not only can that bring the kind of connection and presence and breakthrough that God wants us to have, but it also sustains us until we exit the cave. I'll give you an example of that. Mother Teresa is probably one of these amazing examples in the 20th century of a disciple of Jesus who gave her life for the poor. So she worked in Calcutta, India with the, uh, the lowest caste system, and she spent her whole life caring for the poor in the name of Jesus. When she died, her closest friends found her journals and found out that she was living in a dark night of the soul for years and years. She actually wrote in her journal, I do not feel the presence of God and I have not been able to experience the presence of God. I'm afraid he's left me. But what did she do? She kept serving the poor. She kept going because she realized dark nights of the soul, though they may be short or long, are temporary. And that serving others is a way to sustain us as we go through those times so that we don't kind of fold in on ourselves. What did we talk about today? We talked about this idea that we can be transformed by God through our darkest moments. Unhealthy spirituality is, oh, I'm going through a tough time. Let me keep that from God. Healthy spirituality is, oh, I'm going through a tough time. I'm going to tell God all about it. And then I'm going to let God care for my whole self, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, all of those components and parts of who I am. And while God is doing that, I'm going to find encouragement with other people. I'm going to stay relationally involved and I'm going to actually serve. I'm going to keep giving, knowing that God is working through me so that I don't spiral into that drain that can easily so suck us in. The great part about a relationship with God when we're going through those dark times is that we're not crying out to a God that has never experienced any of this himself. In fact, the Bible tells us this, that Jesus understands our weaknesses for he has faced all the same testings as we do, yet without sin. When we get Jesus, you just don't understand what I'm going through. It's like, I do. I've been there. And we actually have some re recorded sections in the Bible that, that describe some dark, dark nights of the soul for Jesus. And we can connect with him in those moments. In fact, I want to invite us to do that here as we close the service. I'm going to have uh, somebody from our team here and at Torrance come out and we're just going to play the guitar a little bit. I'm, I'm just going to, we're going to end our service with this, with this openness to just sitting and experiencing God's love. I've titled this message, Hear God's Voice of Love in Your Dark Times. So what I want you to do is, I, as we play this music, I just want you to sit. And for some of you, you're going to be like, yes. I, I feel it, I hear it, I know God loves me. Others would be like, I hear nothing. <laughs> nothing, I'm not feeling anything. And for those of you who are in that place, maybe you can remember a time where you felt or experienced God's love in the past and you can apply it 
to right now because his love is the same. And I'll tell you, for me, let me go back to that great stress test I went through. As I was rewriting that story in preparation for sharing it with you today, I can still hear that nurse's voice saying, we're almost done. Look, don't do this. Do, do it this way. One more time. We're almost finished. You're doing great. We're going to get through it. Let's just spend a few moments. And wherever you're at in your walk, and whatever you're going through, would you just sit and appreciate God's love for you for a minute or two? Let's do that. God, thank you for your love that's there whether we feel it or not, whether we can experience it or not. Thank you for your never-ending love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. We're going to close our service today. Hey, if there's something going on in your life you'd like some prayer, you can head over here to our, our cross on the side. We're going to have prayer team people available. And next week, we're going to do another message that kind of helps us understand a little bit more about healthy rhythms in our life. So be here for that. Maybe invite a friend. This week, live in God's love. God bless you. Have a great week.